ever wonder what the Bible has to say about some of the biggest issues we face today? How do you sort through things like our political climate, social issues, and what it means to live out your faith in a dynamically changing world? How do you view these topics through Jesus' vantage point? 312 is back with our new series, Vantage Points. Join us as we discuss what the Bible has to say about some of the most pressing issues we face in our culture today. We'll also continue building a community of believers with fun events that you will not want to miss. 312, knowing God and making God known in Chicago and to the ends of the earth. So, my distortion of sex began at a really young age for me. There was nobody in my life to tell me that the reasons and purposes for sex were designed and created by God. So being shaped at home through dysfunctional relationships and the world around me is what really defined my view of sex and relationships. And most of all, the pain surrounding that is what influenced my decisions around my sexuality and sex and relationships. And just to give you guys a little bit of a glimpse of that, by the time I was 19 years old, I became an adult entertainer. And I was working inside the strip clubs for about 10 years. And I, I say this often because it's so true. There is no little girl that ever says, I want to be a stripper when I grow up. But unfortunately, my life, my experiences, what I witnessed led me down that path. And then by the time I became a believer, the only thing at the time that the church taught me about sex was don't have it unless you're married. And I actually went through this program, maybe some of you are familiar with it, it's called True Love Waits. And I wore the purity ring, I did the whole ceremony, I did the whole thing. However, to be completely transparent, it wasn't really helpful for me because the purity culture for me at that time was bringing a lot of shame to me because what do you do when someone's already had sex, right? Like me, for example. What happens if you've been exposed to things at a young age that you shouldn't have been exposed to? So my life, my experiences led me working in the sex industry, and so my view of sex and relationships were very distorted, even when the church was like, don't do it. And if we can just have an honest moment with each other, I think human beings are very fascinated with sex. And it doesn't matter, man or woman, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter if you're a non-believer, new believer, mature believer, all of us, everywhere, in every culture, throughout history, sexual desire has been the biggest, greatest motivator for the human will. And we do see this around us. If you think about somebody in your own life, you know, maybe you personally have been impacted by someone's sexual decisions. We see families being broken over like a one night of passion, stepping outside of marriages, these uh, broken families and you see one uh, parent, maybe they think the grass is greener on the other side. And so we see this all around us everywhere. When we look on TV, it's in movies, it's in 
stories, right? Like, it's literally, it's everywhere. There's, like, no escaping it. But I think that until we understand why God created sex and relationships, I don't think the significance of walking in sexual purity is going to make sense to us. I think if we don't understand what our sexual relationships mean to God, we're not going to be motivated to reserve the time to be with our spouse. And so I just want to remind us that our sexuality matters to God. And as we follow the heart of God, it should matter to us too. So if you guys could just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we glorify you in all of your splendor. You are a God who is clothed in splendor. You march in greatness. And when you step into a room, everything changes. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that right now, that you would prepare our hearts to feel what you feel, that you would set our eyes in the vision of Christ, that we would see what you see by the power of your spirit. Lord, we need you every day. And in this area, Lord, that we're going to talk about tonight, I pray that you would be glorified in the mighty name of Jesus. All right, so this week I was talking to a friend of mine and I was sharing that I was going to do this topic tonight and they were like, oh, is it going to be singles or married couples? And I said, well, it's majority singles. And he said to me, why would a married woman speak to a bunch of singles about sex and relationships? Like nobody wants to hear from another married person. And if that's kind of your mindset tonight, like, oh, here we go, another married person talking to a single person, the reality is, is that I haven't always been married. I was single for a very long time as a non-believer. I was single as a new believer, single as a mature believer, and now married to my wonderful husband. So I am definitely somebody that has seen sex and relationships in multiple lens. So I am right with you guys wherever you are. So I want to touch on a few topics tonight, kind of putting all this together. Um, but the first thing I want to touch on is how our culture views sex. And, you know, when we think about sex, where do we run to? And if I think about like my own experiences, and maybe some of you can relate to this, but when I think when people think about sex, the church isn't the first place that they're running to to learn about sex. Instead, oftentimes we run to the things that we've already, things that have been instilled in us, right? Like our belief systems, whatever learned behaviors that we had growing up or things that influence us. And so we run and we educate ourselves on this topic through whatever means in the world, whatever's easiest to access. But what we don't realize in that process is that we're actually allowing the world and the culture around us to tell us how to think about sex and relationships. Because what we give our eyes to, our ears to, our time, whatever we give our hearts to, we're saying, Yes, you have permission to disciple me in this area. So how has culture taught us to think about sex and our sexuality for ourselves and for others? 
And I think it's pretty prevalent. We see it as soon as you open up your social media, right? Everything seems like it's a sex ad. I literally, just yesterday, I was looking at a perfume ad, and the girl sprays her wrist, and the boyfriend comes to smell it, and he's like, oh, and he says like a sexual comment to her, and I'm like, man, we can't even like talk about perfume anymore without sexualizing it. It's everywhere. It's all in the news feed. We maybe look to dating experts on podcasts, YouTube, or whatever that is for you, but I know the world often will say things like, you know, if you want to keep a man or get a man or a woman and keep them, these are some things that you should do. Flirt more, wear sexy clothing, have more sex, play hard to get, do this cat and mouse thing. And we're often looking to these channels to help us decide and navigate through the world of sex, sexuality, dating, relationships. And these are really big deals for us because it matters. It matters because it's going to facilitate our learning, our sexual learning, that eventually is going to decide our sexual attitude. It educates us, it influences us, and it disciples us, and it's literally everywhere. So for us, if we want a clear picture on what we believe about sex and relationships, we really have to stop, pause, reflect. Self-reflection isn't always fun, but it really is a must. We, we either have a clear connection between what the world says about sex and what the gospel says And then we can tell where we're at just by our own sexual behaviors, how we view ourselves, and how we see sex outside of marriage. This is going to really reflect the lens and how we understand its meaning. So when we think about the gospel and what the Lord says about sex, um, I think it's so beautiful. Like, God is the one who created it, you know? Like, thank you, Lord, for sex. Um, but it is. It's so beautiful. And one of the greatest things to remember in this conversation, too, is that sex wasn't just meant for casual pleasure, okay? It, it wasn't meant for that at all. It has an intrinsic and powerful meaning. And I love in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is describing this great mystery, and he's speaking about the church and Christ, and and then he talks about like the man and the woman, and how uh, how the, how the woman submits to the husband, and the husband loves his wife as Jesus loves the church. And when I looked back in Genesis to see what the Lord was saying about this, it talks about seeing and and being in this commitment and this oneness and this togetherness that this sexual oneness is where two become one within marriage and that it was created by God to serve God as an indication of the spiritual oneness that's going to exist when Jesus Christ comes for his church. And it's so beautiful because even like as I was going through this, And I went through Genesis, like in the first chapter, when God created the birds, he's like, I bless this, like, be fruitful and multiply. And then when he made Adam and Eve, he literally said the same thing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I've read this so many times, but this just kind of, I just brushed past this or whatever. And this really struck me because 
Yes, there is a, a beauty when you're one with someone and the feelings and all that comes along when you're connected with another person. But the greater beauty is that it's a longing for what's to come, for when Jesus comes for his bride. And so what Paul is talking about here, um, he's talking about Christ and the church and the, the husband, when the husband and wife are one, that it's a foreshadowing of Christ and his church. And so sex outside of marriage, it betrays the love that we long for, which is Jesus is coming. And so if God designed sex, then we know that it was created and intended to operate in its purest form. And that is under the covenant of marriage. And so when sex takes place, we're literally sharing a physical life with that person in the deepest, most profound way. And in that moment, our soul is longing to be one with her bridegroom. That is like so beautiful to me. I, don't <laughs> I just get excited about that. But when the husband and wife become one, that is when two become one. It's like a seal of an exclusive belonging together, and it's separate from anything else, and it's separate from everyone else. It's where our affections are being poured into one another, and it's holding fast to the present union and a celebration to the coming of Jesus who will sweep his bride off of her feet to become one. And so this union of oneness it's to be acted out in marriage alone. This is why it's so important that we reserve that special time, that special place for our spouse. And then going through 1 Corinthians a little bit more in chapter 7, Paul says, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and woman her own husband. And Hebrews 13, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immoral and adulterers. And going back to 1 Corinthians 7, in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should be married, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. My friends, sex points to the deeper realities of the divine marriage to come. So let's talk about some practical things in the dating world. If you're single, burning with passion, don't raise your hand. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> um, but... How do you live single, burning with passion? I know it's not easy because I definitely was one that was single and burned with passion. But I want to, I'm going to talk to both the men and women tonight. And this is just some practical things about relationships. So, women. I want to first tell you to stop, if you're a single woman, stop looking for a man. 
I like to say instead be in a position to be found by a man. And what does that look like? So right now, being single, what does it look like to be found by someone? And we want to be found by a healthy, godly person, right? And so maybe there's some wounds that you're still dealing with that are unresolved. Right now in your singlehood, it's the perfect time to really pay attention and focus on those unresolved wounds and chronic issues. And here are some examples. If you're dealing with chronic insecurity, consistent feelings of loneliness, profound fear of abandonment and rejection, persistent wounds of distrust, it's so important that we figure out and resolve those things. And I'm not talking about like your normal insecure, like all of us, every single one of us in here, we all have insecurities. There's things in our life that change, right? Our family, relationships, work. And so there are seasons in life where we go through that, you know, cause some insecurities to rise up in us. And that's totally normal. That's not what I'm talking about, right? We move on from that. But chronic insecurities, chronic feelings of abandonment and rejection, these persisting wounds of pain of distrust and I don't trust anybody. Like that attitude, that sitting in that can really hurt your relationships. And you want to date someone, we'll start looking to the other person to satisfy us, to make us feel secure, to make us feel like they're our healer when only the Lord can heal those areas. And so men, if you want to find this healthy, godly woman then I say this to you too. Whatever issues you're battling inside that are chronic for you, that you can look in your past and be like, man, how that thing hurt that relationship, this is an opportunity to work through those things, resolve those things. Otherwise, you'll carry that into the next relationship. And so for the man that wants to find a godly, healthy woman... There's this quote that I love. It says, you have to seek God first in order to find her. I love that quote. It's true. And women, we have to be saturated in the word, sitting in the presence of the Lord, because that's where you want to be found. That's where the godly, healthy man is going to find you. And so it's important that we attend to these neglected areas that need healing And I know that many people, I was in that place too and I was single, that we want the marriage, but we don't want to do the things to prepare us for that. And so we get stuck in these unhealthy cycles. And some of those unhealthy cycles look like porn addiction. Some of those unhealthy cycles look like shopping addiction, masturbation addiction, uncontrollable thoughts of lust, emotional attachments from past relationships, which I see so often where you've broken up with someone, but they're still in your life and you know you're supposed to cut them off, but you're still calling each other. You're still, you know, checking up on each other. And there's an emotional attachment there. And sometimes that emotional attachment it's so hard for us to even move on to be open and available to the next person because we have a piece of our heart still in another place. So if you're single and you're not burning with passion, 
but you feel alone. Maybe that's an issue. Maybe you're feeling lonely often or bored or you label it, whatever it is that you're experiencing, experiencing, that is for you too. What's important to know is that being single is knowing that you are made whole. And if you don't think that you are whole, now is the time to learn that you are. It's a time for preparation. It's a time about gaining understanding about who you are as a single man or woman and how to serve him without the distractions of marriage. Because I'm telling you, when you do get married, it's lovely, it's beautiful, and I I love being married to my husband, but it is a different distraction. We don't serve God the same. And so during this time, enjoy being single in this process to serve the Lord without the distractions. It's a time to understand and dare to believe in the newness of your identity. And that is going to prepare you to enter love with another person without compromising who we are in Christ. Because it really is unrealistic and unfair to think that marrying someone is going to fulfill and satisfy every longing that we have. It's just not true. If you don't go into this relationship in your dating, if you don't go on the date, if you don't pursue another person already knowing that you're whole and satisfied in your wholeness, then we're going to keep searching for someone else to make us whole. We're going to make someone else responsible to fulfill that insecurity, to make us not feel alone, to you know, make us, well, if I married, I'll stop this addiction. It's that it doesn't work that way. Wholeness is now and knowing who we are in Christ. And so if you're single, we walk in wholeness. Learn what that means as a single person, right? Marriage doesn't make us whole. And we must be holy before we can be happy. And when we have these things, we'll learn to walk in love versus falling in love. In 1 Thessalonians, however you say that, um, chapter 5, it says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy, and he'll make you holy and put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. I love passages like this because it's passages that we can hold on to for our truth. And so during this time, maybe you have to think about certain thought patterns that, you're, that you have and you're battling with and align them with what the Bible says about who you are. Because it's easy to, to tie our identity to our past pain. It's easy to tie our identity to our behaviors But once we become well acquainted with the way God sees us, when you truly know the way that God sees you, then you'll start to see yourself rightly. You'll start to see others rightly. And if you're someone in this room who's struggling with past sins and that are persistent in your life today and you thought they were over but they keep on coming up, I just want to encourage you that it's okay to confess. The Bible encourages us to confess our sins to one another so that he can heal us. And so this is a time to work on those areas in your life to grow in 
being com- becoming healthy, to be uh, mentally healthy, to be emotionally healthy, to be spiritually healthy, but don't rush your healing process because you want to be in a relationship so bad or you're ready to move to that next step so bad. Allow God to do the work in you that he desires to do in you to be set free. I know that it can be hard at times to go through that process. It can be really painful. I know it was for me, um, especially when I had made a commitment to really learn what it meant to walk in purity with God and wait for marriage. Um, It was challenging, especially because of my former life, like before Christ, like it's all I knew. I was in the world for so many years. I did what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, and no one could say anything to me. And then now all of a sudden, it's like, no, don't do this. But without having a clear picture and understanding of the purpose of sex and relationships, I continued to do what I wanted to do because I just didn't understand. And so it was, it was challenging But the Lord, he wants us to be healed. He wants to restore us. He wants to complete us. And it's important that we allow him to work in these areas so that we're not like projects for people to fix. Women, you're not a project for a man to fix. Man, you're not a project for a woman to fix. And then for the man who thinks that, you know, if I find the right one, I'll change. If you have that mentality, it's a lie. That won't happen. The transformation only comes from being in the word and allowing God to do what he wants to do in your life. Another person isn't responsible for your healing. You and God are responsible to work that together. And we can pray and we can pray, but faith without works is dead. So it's important that we work and we're proactive to gain our healing of whatever that is. Because the reality is, is that two people who aren't fulfilled by Jesus, two people who don't know who they are in Jesus or totally surrender to him, it will not equal a good outcome. And it gets tiring. And it makes you weary. And then you find yourself in this weary place. And if you're there, if you're in the weary place, then I want to encourage Matthew 11 over you where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And if you're weary because you've reached a place where you're unsure if marriage is even meant for you, and I've had a lot of these conversations with some of my single friends and I also thought at one time, well, what if I'm not meant to be married? What if I'm meant to be single the rest of my life? I would say this, If you are walking in obedience with Christ, I mean for real, and I'm not talking a perfect relationship because we all fall short, but when the the Bible says when you fall, we get back up. But if you are walking in obedience with Christ, the Bible tells us in Psalms, I think it's like 86 somewhere, you could look it up, but... He says that when you draw near to me, that whatever desires that we have in our heart, he begins to replace them with his desires. So like whatever I have in my own, you know, will, my own accord, as I walk with God, 
I start to see things differently. I, t- I start to desire things differently. And that's him literally replacing my own desires with his desires. And then he also tells us, if you seek first my kingdom and his righteousness, then all things will be added unto you. And it's encouraging to me because if I'm walking in obedience with Christ and I am seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, then I know that the desire, the vision that I have for marriage, it has to be God. Because only God can create, God is a creator of marriage. He is the designer of it. He's the one who blesses it. And so to my single friends, if you're like in that place, I just want to encourage you like, Believe that that desire is a God-created desire. And so in this time of wholeness, not aloneness, is that a word? Uh, (laughs) But it is, okay. Um, Explore the heart of God. This is what an opportunity to explore his heart. So now let's talk about You being in a place where you're like, you know what, I'm healthy, I'm good, I've done all the things, I've had all the therapy, I've had all the prayers, I've done all those things, and and I'm ready to date. And But what does it look like to date and have these emotional and physical boundaries? We talk a lot about physical boundaries, right? But we don't talk enough about having emotional boundaries And those two together are really important in the dating world. And just to throw some examples for for boundaries is the first thing is know your boundaries before you even step into a dating relationship. And if you're in a dating relationship, it's important to discuss those boundaries. My husband and I, Lauren actually reminded me today, um, my husband and I, when we started dating, we wrote down all the things we could not do and my husband was like, can we just write all the things we can do? Because what we can't do, it's way too long. <laughs> it's going to take up too much time. So we wrote all the things like we can do. And we shared them with each other so that he can memorize my boundaries and I can memorize his. And it was really, really helpful in those moments where the boundaries were trying to be pushed. But glory to God, we're married now. <laughs> Um, (laughs) um, so just some examples for those boundaries no sleepovers okay no sleepovers and I'm telling you this from my heart I don't care if you're like well we slept in separate rooms no there were many times when I was with my husband we were engaged and actually my one of my boundaries was I don't ever want to see what your bedroom looks like even when we're engaged. I have no reason to step foot in your room. I don't care what it looks like. It's an intimate, private space. I don't belong in your bedroom. And there were nights that I would come over and I was tired and it was winter outside and he would, you know, well, we can sleep in separate rooms. We can, it's okay. Like we've been pure. We, no, I still went home and trust me, it was very difficult, especially during the engagement process. So, I encourage no sleepovers, no being alone at an awkward time of the day if you are somebody who struggles with self-control. 
No dirty flirting. No open doors to sin to enter in. So it's important that you know your own convictions. One conviction for one person may not be the same for the other person. It's different for everybody. Some couples choose to not kiss. Others may choose to kiss. That is a personal conviction that you have to sort out between you and the Lord and the person you're dating. So steer clear from tempting situations. And I cannot stress this enough. Have an accountability partner. I do not believe that relationships are meant to be done just you and the person you're dating. Invite people into that space with you. My husband and I had mentors during our dating process, during our engagement, and now in our married, process, our married life forever. So I really encourage to have accountability partner because when you are having a weak moment, you are, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but we are not that strong. And it is okay to not be that strong. And that's why we can rely on others and invite them in to hold us accountable to maintain our boundaries that we've established. For the emotional boundary side of this, it's important that we practice emotional independence from someone that you're dating, but even more important that we practice emotional dependence on God, because in Proverbs 4.23, the Bible says that we have to guard our hearts in Christ Jesus from out of that flows the issues of life. So when we're dating, we're going to be dating for marriage and not for fun. These emotional boundaries are super important because an emotional bond without a commitment, it will lead to a broken heart. For example, you're on your third date or your sixth date, and it's been so wonderful, and you start to share really private matters about yourself. You're, you're like going in deep that only your best friend knows or only God knows. And for whatever reason, you, you, know, you have this connection, this chemistry, and it's great, and you're like, oh, I'm going to tell everything about myself. Those places are meant to be reserved for someone in a deeper commitment, going into marriage. And so in that, in that stage of your dating, sometimes letting all of your private matters open, that's how we get emotionally attached, and it's hard to break free from that. And a lot of times people end up with a broken heart. And now for you know those that, when you are dating, it's important to discuss your level of commitment when you're dating a person, like, what does that look like to you? Um, I've been at Park for like seven years, and <laughs> just let me look around the room real quick, make sure no one I dated in the past is here. Um, <laughs> so men, single men, I say this with so much love, if you want to take a girl out on a date... And your way of asking her on a date is, hey, can we go to have some coffee? And she says yes. You need to let her know that that's an actual date for you because I went out on like 20 coffee dates (laughs) here at Park and I did not know that they were dates. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, it was 
it blew my mind. And I hear this so often from a lot of my uh, female friends here at Park that, oh, you know, I went on this, I don't know if it was a date. There's like some confusion around there. So men, I encourage you, like, be open and honest about your intentions. If you need a little help, you could say something like, hey, Mandy, um, I'd like to take you out for coffee on a date. Would you like to go with me? See, so simple, right? Um, (laughs) So, but you want to communicate, make that communication clear. And wherever you are in your dating process, let the person know where each other stands. There should not be a wondering, where are we doing? We've gone out on 10 dates. I don't know what's happening. It's okay to communicate and talk about where you're at, you like them, and, and all the, those good things. So it's important that we practice both physical and emotional boundaries, and those are just a couple examples. Um, and it's also important that we maintain spiritual boundaries as well. Now, I know that one of the greatest challenges in relationships is not knowing where it's headed, and that can be um, anxious for people. And so maybe you're like, well, how do I even know that I'm ready to date? And I would say this. I would say you know you're ready to date when you're no longer anxious and have peace and you're content in your wholeness. When there's a peace that surpasses your own understanding and there's an incredible amount of patience, and you're content right where you are, when you stop walking into the next date already defeated because your last couple dates didn't work out, when you stop comparing the person that you're hanging out with with your ex, when you recognize your own barriers and you're honest about them and you continue to pray about your own motives and your own heart, And you're going to know when you're ready, when you stop expecting that person to live to your standard that you, or or to a standard that you don't live yourself. So, and I've heard this somewhere. Um, I thought I made it up, but someone said, oh yeah, I've heard that. (laughs) So I guess it wasn't me. But um, if you have a list of what you want, can you check that list off yourself? You know, The biggest thing for me is you know you're ready when you're rooted in God's word and you know what he says about you. It's so important that we know our identity and we're confident in our identity and who God says that we are. And we're going to be confident in knowing and who he says we are by our growing intimate relationship with him because our knowing of who we are in Christ is born from the relationship that we have in Christ. And when we draw close to our maker, we truly start to see ourselves the way that he sees us. And again, we'll start to see others the way that he sees them as well. So finally, and we're going to wrap up here. And this goes without saying, but I feel like it's a good reminder When we are going into the dating world, um, it's important that we make sure the person that we're dating is also a believer. And I'm not talking like, I think, you know, if for me, I'm I'm married now, but 
as a as a Christian, I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna open the door for someone who's a Mormon or a Catholic or Jehovah's Witness to pursue me because our what we believe in, the the foundation of what we believe in is different. And Paul tells us that we are to be evenly yoked and the importance of that. And so we want to make sure that the person that we're dating, that there are uh, our core values, our core beliefs that they line up because the tension that it will create in the future is definitely not worth it. Um, and someone asked me this, I thought it was kind of funny, but um, someone asked me, is, should, should we be attracted to the person that we're dating? Um, yes, you could be attracted to the person that you're dating. Um, I'm very attracted to my husband, which made it very difficult during our dating process, you know? Um, so yes, it, it's okay. So again, our sexuality and our life Our sex life matters to the one who created it because he designed it and he blesses it and it's meant to be performed. Our sexuality, when we share it with one another, it's meant to be performed in the context of marriage because that's where the two flesh become one and it rings the alarm to remind us of and to prepare us for what's to come and that's when Jesus becomes one with his bride. Um, thanks for being here with me tonight. I'll pray for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your awesome glory, your awesome word. Father, we know that there is none like you. We know that when you enter the hearts of people, that something happens. We don't just change, but we are transformed by the renewing of your word. Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters tonight, wherever they find themselves, that you, my God, that you would reveal your immense love, that you would remind all of us, Lord, that whatever the enemy meant for evil, that yes, you, Lord God, can turn it around for good, that you are a God who heals, you are a God who redeems, you are a God who restores, and even now, Lord, you sing songs of deliverance over us. We thank you for your word, and we declare that we stand upon your word. Lord, I pray that it would be your very word that we are desperate for, that we wake up in the morning seeking your face, Lord, for all things, for all matters. Fill us, Lord, by the truth and the power of your word. And Lord, we thank you for who you say we are in you, that we are the apple of your eye, that we are a child of God that we can call you Abba, Father, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you because you are not like man that you will lie, nor like the son of man that you would change your mind. Thank you. We thank you, Lord, for keeping us in your embrace. You are a good, good God. We love you, and it's in your name.